While parents coming back, I will just introduce myself very briefly. Uh, my name is James, um, and um, my wife Ellen and I have been here for nearly seven years at the church. I'm a member of the church here. Uh, we moved from Canterbury quite a long time ago now, it feels like. Uh, and we have 2.9 beautiful children. Uh, uh, Ellen is 36 and a half weeks pregnant. Um, and so we are very much looking forward to the arrival of uh, number three. Um, we don't know what it is. People keep asking me, have you found out what it is? We haven't found out with this one. And uh, so we're very excited to find out uh, who's going to be joining our family. Uh, my day job is a teacher. Um, I am a math teacher. I don't quite know how I stumbled up doing that because I was never very good at maths at school. So if you feel like there's no hope for you in maths, then uh, your children are in good hands. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to the summer holidays. I think I've got, I think I've got, I've got two weeks left, um, and um, I've got just about enough time to recover from school before a baby arrives. Uh, so, there we go. Uh, <laughs> this morning, I'm going to be speaking from Mark 6, uh, verses 30 to 44, which comes uh, in our series, uh, which comes with the title of uh, Hashtag Cares for the Needy, uh, which is in our series of Marks of Jesus. This whole series has, in fact, run with a series of hashtags, if you didn't know that. Uh, and the hashtag uh, is, is, this, is, the, is the hash at the front. Did you know this? Yes? No? Yes? Okay, so I just wanted to find out, just out of interest, how many people actually know what a hashtag is? Have a raise of hands, a smattering of people who know actually what it is. Not very many people in the balcony know what a hashtag is. Uh, put your hand, well, if you actually regularly use hashtags, very few people regularly use them, or are too embarrassed to say that they do. Um, okay, and for those of you who have absolutely no idea what a hashtag is, let me fill you in. So, a hashtag is a word or phrase used to link ideas together on social media. Uh, so I'm talking about social media here, so please don't switch off if that's not any, any relevance to you. It's a great tool for linking ideas together and uh, brings thoughts and ideas and it links people all over the world. So when you use a hashtag, people can link with it. They can link ideas together. So if you find any part of what I'm saying useful this morning and you use social media, uh, you can use the hashtag cares for the needy. Uh, and then we can go online and you can see what other people are saying about it. Hopefully nice things, uh, but they could also say unnice things. Anyway. Uh, uh, or for those of you who don't use social media, you can just come and talk to me to my face and say hello, uh, which is also uh, very well received and quite radical in this day and age. So uh, let's get down to business. Can you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 or flick with me on your iPhones or other mobile devices are available? Uh, so, and we're going to read uh, from verses 30 to 44. Uh, and I'm going to read from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. So it might be a little bit different to yours, um, and we can get in, into an argument about which one's right later. Uh, so, so here we go. So, excellent. So, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, 
Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. That's, he is Jesus there. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Okay, so as you can see, I've been given one of the best-known stories in the Bible to come and speak to you about this morning, Uh, but I'd like us to approach it with a fresh set of eyes. Something that I've learned over the last kind of weeks and months is that God loves to surprise me. Even when I'm reading some of the best-known, or some of the verses that I know best in the Bible, some of the stories that I know best, God has this ability to just completely catch me by surprise and go, have you, have you thought about this? And I really hope this morning that that's what's going to happen to you. So we're going to open our hearts to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to invite you to just let God speak into your heart this morning. And I'm just going to pray very briefly. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of love and compassion and grace. And Father, we pray this morning that our hearts would be open to you. Father, we want to receive from you We want to be blessed by you, Father, this morning. Talk to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, sorry, I'm a bit caught here. Hang on. There we go. So, uh, as I've said to you already, my day job is as a teacher, and I get told a lot of things as a teacher. Uh, Somebody was talking to me the other day about how as teachers, uh, well, I, I appreciate that as parents, you, children come home and say, this happened. And you think, oh my goodness, what's going on? But can I just say there is a flip side to that? And your children come to us and say, this happens at home. Uh, so, so, so just as a heads up, you should be aware of that. And I'm, I need to remember that because Leo is four and he starts school in September, uh, which kind of blows my mind. And he loves to tell a good story. Uh, And just like his father, I I can't imagine where he gets it from, but he loves to exaggerate. Uh, And uh, as we all like a good story, I thought I would tell you a good story of something that happened to me a few years ago. So actually, it feels like forever ago, but it's for some of us not so long ago. So I was at university, and Ellen and I were dating, and we remember this story in very different ways. Uh, So 
I had been at Ellen's house, and from what I recollect the other day, I'd said, I was telling Ellen, I'm going to tell this story. Do you remember when we had that really lovely evening, and then I left, and she went, no, we didn't have a lovely evening. We, had a, we argued, and then you left. Uh, so that was great. So I remember we had this lovely evening together, and we left, and I, sorry, and I left, and as I was walking home, uh, I was coming along the street, and I had to turn right into this road, and I could hear loud footsteps, running footsteps coming around the corner, and then there's this cry of, stop, police! And uh, I, obviously that wasn't me, just as a heads up. Uh, and this man suddenly appears from around the corner, and he's, he's running, and I can hear the police coming behind him. And my first instinct is not to get out of the way. My first instinct is actually I crouch down, and in my head I remember this kind of lions-worthy New Zealand-defeating tackle that comes in, and I kind of slam him down, bam, on the floor. And... Uh, that's not actually the end of the story. So having got him down, the police arrive, and I kind of stand up, and I'm, oh, my goodness, what have I just done? <laughs> and uh, this voice comes as if out from nowhere, and, it, and it's, do you lads need anything else? And I realize that that's, in fact, my voice. And then there's kind of, no, no, no. All right, then, have a good evening. And I wander off. <laughs> uh, now, obviously... I remember that story very differently. I think actually what really happened, uh, obviously Ellen and I had had an argument and I was not in a great place, but, and I'd left and I, this man came and, and, and as, as I imagine this tackle, I think actually what happened was that I just kind of stood there and we kind of collided and fell over. Uh, um, and what's true about that story and in fact any story that's told is that there are always, there are two sides to every story. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to focus on the fact that there are two sides to this story. So, let's look at the setting for our story. We're right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. The disciples have just returned from a very successful, short, first mission trip. And they are buzzing. Absolutely buzzing, but exhausted. You can read back in verses 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 6. So this is a little bit earlier. Uh, They went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with holy oil, uh, anointed with holy oil many who were sick and healed them. At this point in our story, at the very beginning, the disciples are in a great place. They feel like they could conquer the world, and what we're going to discover is that once again, as we know from the disciples, uh, they are going to fall short. You can imagine the scene, though. Can you imagine as Jesus is sat there, and they're on the side of the edge of a lake, and it's beautiful, and the disciples are coming back together, and you, just, you can hear them sharing stories and testimonies. Oh, did you hear what Andrew did? It was amazing. He just, he just prayed over this guy, and, they, and, and, they, and he was healed. Oh, you should, well, you, you think that's good. You should hear what Peter did. Peter told a demon to leave this, this lady, and it left. They are in, uh, they, they would have been a real air of confidence among the disciples, and uh, unfortunately, as they return to Jesus, it's not into a peaceful, relaxing setting, but actually into a very busy environment. And Jesus identifies that they are tired. And he said to them, come away to a desolate place and rest a while. Life's not easy, un- that easy for the, for the disciples. They're constantly surrounded by the coming and going of people wanting to see Jesus, and they are getting a bit agitated. They want some time off. They even get in a boat to try and sail away. 
I just I love the image of being a disciple sat in that boat and you think, oh, thank goodness, we've left them behind. And as you're traveling across this lake, you kind of see this horde kind of meeting at the other side and you can just imagine them kind of going, oh no, it's going to happen again, isn't it? Like, leave us alone! And you can hear the tone of voice in the next few verses as we go on a little bit later on. This is a desolate place, send them away. And what I really like actually is the message translation of these verses. Uh, oh, I was missing there, but it's, the, the verse is, when the disciples thought this had gone on long enough. I love that. <laughs> they'd had enough. When they thought they'd gone on long enough. And it's, at this point in the story, it's very clear that the disciples are fed up. And I have to say that I actually really identify with them at this point in the story. I don't know if you do. Busy Sunday morning after a very long and tiring week. I've had three residentials in the last three weeks. I've had my reports due in. We're in the middle of rehearsals for a big play. I am absolutely on my knees at school, and I am exhausted. And you get, you know, you arrive, it's an example, you arrive on a Sunday, we're trying to leave, sorry, on a Sunday morning, and I'm kind of, oh, I just want to get home, and Noah needs feeding, and Leo's running around all over the place, and Ellen's found somebody else to talk to, and we're just kind of like, oh, come on! I totally get with the disciples at this point in the story. I to- Am I the only one who understands this? No? Men? Come on. I mean, there must be other people as well. Or when I'm at work and I just think, I'm just sitting down to my desk, just getting on with something, and a child comes in, and I just have had a busy morning, and the child, Mr. Brett. Yes? It doesn't have to, it's at all times in all days when we just think, I just need a moment I get caught off guard. But as we know, there are two sides to every story. So we've heard the the disciples. Let's hear about Jesus. So Jesus, too, has need for some time off in this story. Let's look back at what's happened in the previous few verses. Uh, I'm in uh, verses 14 to 29 of chapter 6. We hear that John the Baptist has been ruthlessly murdered by Herod. Jesus would have been mourning the passing of his cousin, and he too sees sees the need to get away from the crowds. It's he that identifies the need to get away. Jesus himself has identified the need to have rest, to take stock and have time away, and yet... When he arrives on the shore, how does Jesus react? He reacts with compassion. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart is on another level in this story. He sees beyond his own feelings and into the hearts of those around him. His focus is not on his own earthly needs, but on the needs of the people around him. His love for the people outweighs the need for him to satisfy himself. Unlike the disciples, Jesus does not have a clock-in, clock-out mentality. Even in the business of tiredness, the hurting, Jesus serves. Now, I know that some of you will be sat there thinking, this is a bit heavy, I, I do need some time off. Yes, and I want to, I want to declare quite emphatically, it is important that we have time off, that we have time away. It is important to rest and be alone, or either by yourself or with family. It is important to have those times. Jesus knew that, and that's why he tried to pull the disciples away. But I just want you to imagine for a moment that you are in that boat, 
how, are you, how ready are you, to, when you get out of the boat, to talk and react and be ready and to love? I would say that I am totally with the disciples on this one, and I would be very not ready. Not just at work or at home or in school, but in the street, if somebody comes up to you. Jesus is showing us here that we are to live lives that are focused not purely on our own needs, but on those that are around us. Okay, let's move on to look at the next part of the stories. So the disciples are grumpy. Jesus has been talking all day, and they've had enough. Then on top of ignoring their request to send the crowd away, he tells them that they have to feed them. You give them something to eat. Let's just put that part of the story in perspective for a moment. So we hear here that there are 5,000 men, and, that's probably, and there are probably the same number of women and children. So we're looking at a crowd of perhaps 10,000, uh, give or take. And the disciples are stunned. I think I would be pretty stunned at this point as well. He wants us to do what? Is he, is he serious? He wants us to feed 10,000 people. And they look at the cost of the meal, 200 denarii, which in, is 200 days worth of wages. Now, in today's money, that's about, or is, is roughly between 10 and 11,000 pounds. And as we know from our reading of the Bible, Jesus and the disciples didn't carry around 10 to 11,000 pounds, and the concept of that blows their mind. They are only focused on the physical needs, the logistics, and the, the money, the spending. To any human eye, the task is impossible, or at the very least, incredibly difficult and a massive, massive pain. The disciples have lost their heavenly perspective. Only that morning had they been gathering, excited about all that they'd achieved, sharing their stories, eager to tell Jesus about what had happened. And yet, here, we find them worrying about, you know, lots of people and being agitated and how is this going to happen? I so often fall into this trap. Ellen and I, I've, as I've said, we're expecting baby number three. And we've had to change our car, which I was very sad about. We had an estate car, which I loved dearly. And I know I shouldn't love physical things, but it was, it was a lovely thing. And it turned out that it wasn't big enough to fit three children across the back. And that in 2017, people frown upon you tying your eldest child to the roof of your car. <laughs> Uh, or tucking them away in the boot. <laughs> I, I spent not just days or weeks, but months looking for a car. Months. I was driving around. Every time we drove past the garage, I would just slow down, have a look over my shoulder. Evenings would be spent on Auto Trader, looking and thinking, right, what's the best deal? Is that a good one? I, and at points, and I was, you'll be glad to hear, talked out of this, but I was going to drive to uh, Gloucester at one point and Luton to go and look at one car. I was trying to solve the problem myself. But it, as with our story here, we see that there are two sides to it. Jesus not only sees the physical needs of the crowd, but the spiritual needs of his disciples. 
Jesus is about to teach the disciples a powerful and challenging, but at the same time, wonderful lesson. He takes the food, blesses it, and starts to share it out. It's interesting here that he he blesses it. He doesn't say, Lord, provide food for 10,000 people. He just says, thank you for your provision. And then he shares it out. Isn't that wonderful? And it just keeps coming. I, uh, when I was 17, 18, I went to see a production of The Life of Jesus, and it was based uh, in, a, in, a, in the countryside, and you spent the entire day walking around following the story of Jesus. And they did this story when I was there. And it was, and it was just I, staggering. So this, the character Jesus is stood there, and he stood behind uh, uh, like a tabley thing, and he starts to throw out bread. And it just, and it just, I was stood, I was, it just keeps coming. And he's just throwing this bread out. And it completely blew my mind that Jesus was providing for all these people. Jesus physically meets the needs of the crowd. And do you know what's really beautiful about what he's doing? He uses the disciples to help him. Those men who were grumpy and irritable and selfish, he uses them to help his ministry. God loved, God's love for his disciples saw through their moods and their hang-ups. He uses them. Not only that, but when everyone is fed, there are 12 baskets left over. Not 12 empty baskets, but 12 full baskets. Each of the disciples sees that their needs are met to overflowing in Jesus. I want to be clear this morning, and I think through the worship, I think this message came through really in the worship and the words that were brought, that Jesus is not offering to step into your life and your plan and your construction. That's not Jesus' offer this morning. Jesus' offer is what he was showing the disciples and us is that if we let go of our own agendas and grasp that the gospel is a command to step out of our own narrow-minded existence, I can, uh, narrow-minded existence, I can promise you that he will lead you into a way of life that is so much more open and free and totally satisfying. Just like I was when I was buying my car, I wanted to be in control. I saw that as my job. I am the alpha male. There is a problem. I will solve it. And it was only when I realized, hang on a second, God's blessed us with this third child. He will provide a car that's going to work for us. And that's when I started to relax and we found what we were looking for. When I let my eyes drop from Jesus, when we we let our eyes drop from Jesus, we lose perspective on what he's promised us. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That is truth right there this morning. For those of us who know Jesus, and for those of us who maybe haven't quite got there yet, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus will provide for you. I need constant reminder of that. 
Let's place ourselves on the hillside this morning. Maybe you are a member of the crowd. Maybe this is the first time you've heard Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus, you've been following Jesus around for a little bit. You've been coming to church every so often. Maybe you're a disciple. I want you to place yourself on that hillside this morning in that character that you see yourself as. Do you know that no matter where you are in that crowd, that Jesus loves you this morning? That he knows your heart? That he longs to meet with you and talk with you? That you're sat on a hillside surrounded by thousands of others? Sometimes we can feel so alone. But I can tell you that you are surrounded by many, many others. Jesus loves you and he wants to bless you this morning. Either physically bless you or spiritually bless you. This Jesus who sat talking to you on the hillside is the same Jesus who knows you so well and loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. In fact, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your coming and going when you rise and fall. That he is for you and not against you. So much much so that the wrong that we have done, I have done, you have done, can be left behind, and you can know a life that is full of freedom and peace and love, kindness, compassion, grace, unending faithfulness. Perhaps this morning you're just hearing this for the, his voice for the first time, and I want to tell you that he will never stop talking to you. Jesus never stops talking to us. We can choose to stop listening, but Jesus never stops talking to you, especially in the desolate place. These people, these 10,000 people are in a desolate place, and Jesus provides for them, and he will provide for you even in the desolate place. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what I be good is good. Be devoted to one another in love. On one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So we're looking here at the outworking of what we've heard this morning. We are to be a community who love each other, encourage one another and care for one another. Is that done in our own strength? Well, I think that we've learned from the disciples' example here that that is just not going to happen. And it didn't happen overnight for the disciples either. It wasn't a miraculous, oh, the Lord has provided for 10,000 people. I understand, and I will now go and do the same. It didn't happen overnight for them. It took them a long time to get it. We have different seasons in life. We have busy seasons. We have even busier seasons. Seasons to bless and seasons to serve. Seasons to be blessed and seasons to be served. But the challenge that Jesus is showing us here is that even in our busiest seasons, well, the question that he's asking is, are you ready to serve? I love the use of the word practice in that Romans passage. It doesn't say excel in hospitality or perfect hospitality. I love this quote from Tim Chester, which 
is half there. The focus of entertaining is to impress others. The focus of true hospitality is serving others. Inviting people over to your house is not supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be real. That means toys out, baby screaming, noisy neighbors, pile of washing up in the sink, having to serve pasta with a roast dinner because you've invited too many people over. Yes, that has happened to me before. It's real life. We've hosted Sunday lunches with people crammed around the table. Not enough chairs, so someone sat on the coffee table. People don't care about logistics. When I was a student and I was hungry and I was invited over on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon for lunch, I didn't care where I sat or where I went. I cared that somebody cared about me, cared enough that they'd said, oh, you're hungry, come and have food with us. People care about you caring about them. And that's the example that Jesus has set us here. We need to maintain a heavenly perspective, always sure that our baskets are not just full, not just full to the brim, but full to overflowing. I look to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We don't serve an angry, aggressive dictator We come to a God who loves us and delights in us and longs to use us for his purposes. Just like the grumpy disciples, God can and will use you. God delights in you this morning. We come to serve a God who cares not only for the physical needs of those around him, but the spiritual needs as well. Perhaps you are one of the disciples this morning. You're tired. You're weary. You've seen some pretty amazing stuff in your time, but for some reason you've lost your focus. Jesus wants to remind you that your basket is overflowing this morning. That actually we're not in it for the short-term trip, but we're about a lifestyle of serving, especially when it's, it's least convenient. That God can meet our needs to overflowing. Life is busy. I... I... I really get that. But our sustainer, our provider, is the Lord our God. And he is faithful to the end. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will find it. Love, it's beautiful, it ties in all through the worship, the words that were coming through were a God who is our sustainer. Pauline's word about scaffolding, I mean, it just, it just, isn't it wonderful how God ties everything together on a Sunday morning? We're going to let the Holy Spirit do some work now. We've got time. You don't have to rush off, parents. We're, we've got five or six minutes or so. Could the band come up, please? Thank you. As I was preparing for this morning, I feel like there are three groups of people here who this message is particularly... I think we can all gain something, but I think there are three groups of people here who really need to hear Jesus. 
There are some of you here that need to know that God is your provider. I had to learn that lesson. God is my physical provider. God will meet your physical needs. I think there are some people here who need to refocus on God's perspective. You need to trust that God cares for your spiritual needs. You played Tony for us. Thank you. And the third group here, and I often find myself, I think I can fit into this group. There are some people here who take pride in being busy. Now, there's nothing wrong with being busy. Life is busy. But I feel that being busy or trying, you're trying to take control of your life is your main focus. And you need to refine God's perspective again this morning. I think that passage in Matthew, he who would save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's for you this morning. I also just want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, that he is here for you and he is ready to meet you. And we're going to sing a song as a response. And after that, I'm going to invite you, if you want to know Jesus for the first time this morning, I'm going to invite you to give your life to him because I can promise you, I can guarantee you that you will not regret it and that you will never, ever look back.